Good morning. How is everyone today? Thank you, choir, for leading us in that special time of worship. You know, that last song is so special when you think about the words. You know, he's a savior. He can move the mountain. And whatever you're going through, know that God's got a wonderful plan for your life. If you are visiting here, you're not a visitor, you're a guest, and we want you to feel right at home. Our mission here is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. All of us are ordinary, but when Jesus enters into our lives, he makes the ordinary extraordinary. And we like to say we're a place where you can belong, believe, and become. We want you to know that this is a place that's warm, welcoming, and every time you hear God's word preached, once you believe it, then he helps you become all that he wants you to become. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, as we look into your word today, we're excited and we're on tiptoes of anticipation of what you want to say. So, Father, we pray your spirit would fill this place. I know many here today are going through great struggles and trials. But, Lord, we thank you in the midst of all that you give us triumph in Christ. God, thank you for all that you're doing in our church. It's been a blessing, Lord, to see you move in the midst of our congregation to see people rally and pray for the sick and seeing the sick begin to get better. Lord, we just thank you and give you praise, honor, and glory. We ask and pray your blessing on your word now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, so you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Uh, as you turn there, I want to tell you a little bit about my Saturday yesterday. Uh, I took my family to Water Rock Knob. Anybody ever been to Water Rock Knob on the parkway? Here's a picture here. Uh, we were heading that direction, and as we started driving up on the parkway, we noticed something on the ground. You can see it in the picture. It's a little white. The snow started falling, and I think we even have a video here of a little trek. We are hiking up the water rock knob, and as you can tell, it's cold, snowing, freezing. We're having a good time. What do you think, It's a winter wonderland. We are hiking up. All right, so that, that video there, um, that was after we went. <laughs> we don't need to see that again, right? So uh, that was after, after we made it. But on the way, uh, we saw a vehicle that had flipped on its side. It was uh, flipped over on its driver's side. And we're like, oh no, what's going on? So I slowed down to look over the vehicle. And it didn't seem like anyone was in it, so I was like, I didn't know what to do. So I started to move a little forward, and I saw a truck coming down. And I asked the truck driver, uh, there was a vehicle on its side, do you know anything about it? And he said, well, this just happened. I just heard the crash. So I immediately pulled off the road and ran down the hill in the snow. And the guy was almost off the cliff. I mean, it was like so close. And, you know, we were planning just this family fun time and didn't expect to encounter someone vehicle flipped over so as i approached the vehicle the guy was still in it and uh, he was okay thank the lord and uh, i i we opened the door and he had to crawl out of the passenger side since it was flipped on the side and i held the door as he crawled out and uh, he ended up in our van we warmed him up and waited on the record crew and i, I began to think after this whole process as i was talking with the gentleman uh, what would have happened if i had just kept going you know the first the first response was this happened last night. I don't see anyone in the car. And it would have been so easy to keep going or to say, you know, this truck driver will handle it. You know, he's heading in that direction. I've got four crazy kids in the car. I'm just going to keep going. And as I began to think about it, it made me think of the text we're talking about today. 
um, how God is a missionary God, and he sends us on mission. But all around us are potential ways to excuse. Well, someone else will do it. I'm just going to keep going. I have, I have too much going on in my life. And, um, you know, the temptation for me was just to keep, keep going. Thank God I, I stopped. But think about your life. How many times do you say, I, I would share Christ with someone, but, and you fill, fill in the blank. Whenever you read throughout the whole Bible, we, we're reminded that God is a missionary God. You see it as early as Genesis 12, where God calls Abraham to be a blessing to all the nations. And a lot of times when we talk about the Jewish people, we forget that the whole role of the Jewish people was to be a special people that was to spread the message about God to all the world. But they kept it to themselves. So God would often send people out and sometimes circumstances they didn't like. You remember Daniel in captivity? He was sent to Babylon. And for as many as, I think, 70 years, he was a witness to Babylonian, Persia, and different nations to be a witness. And we see God's mission throughout the whole Bible. Fast forward to the New Testament. Because the Jewish people kept it to themselves, uh, there was still a mission yet to be done. And God sent his one and only son who was going to get the job done. Jesus came. And we read in Luke chapter 9 how he sent the 12 out. And from Matthew's parallel account, he sent them to the Jews only. He said, don't go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles. Go only to the Jewish people. So in Luke 9, the the apostles were sent on a mission to the Jews. And you see that through scripture to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So in Luke chapter 10, the narrative shifts. Last week, we talked about Luke's travelogue. In chapter 9 at the end, it says Jesus had set his eyes toward Jerusalem. He was heading towards the cross. So if you're taking notes, one way to remember Luke's gospel is the first nine chapters deal a lot with Jesus' miracles, all these signs he's doing. And in chapter 10 and following, it shifts a lot from the miracles. There's still miracles, but it shifts from miracles to Jesus' message. Or you could say it like this. In chapters 1 through 9, are Jesus' works. In chapters 10 following, it's his words. You see a lot about the message leading up to the cross event. So we see like a, a shift in Luke's gospel. But I, I want you, as we get ready to turn to chapter 10 and read it, I want you to think about the New Testament. Have you ever thought that the entire New Testament was written by missionaries? You ever think about that? All of the New Testament was written either by an apostle or an associate of the apostles. You think about it, they were all missionaries. The apostle Paul, was he a missionary? He was a missionary. Well, what about the author of Hebrews? We don't know who wrote it, but we can only assume that he too went in the missionary faith that Jesus produced. So this, this whole message is just kind of a reminder that our faith is a missionary faith. Every Christian is a missionary Christian. So with that, let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to read a lengthy portion of Scripture because it all fits together in one common theme. But let's start in verse 1. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and every place where he himself was about to go. Now, before we read verse 2, I want you to notice these 70 are not apostles. There's nothing special about them other than Jesus picked 70 and he sent them. Verse 2, then he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. Carry neither bag, money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one along the road. But whatever house you enter, first say, Shalom to this house, or peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat such things that are set before you. And heal the sick there. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And whatever city, verse 10, you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, the very dust of your city which clings to us, we wipe off against as a testimony against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable in the day, that day for Sodom than for that city. Verse 13. Woe to you, Chorson. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and in ashes. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. He who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. May God bless his word. So today's message is very simple. It's how to think like a missionary. Because every Christian is a missionary Christian. So today I'm just going to give you four practical points from these 16 verses on how to remind yourself, some of us for the first time, to begin to think like a missionary thinks. Number one, Jesus sends you to make an eternal difference in the world. Jesus sends you to make an eternal difference in the world. Notice in verse 1, after these things, Jesus sent out how many people? Seventy. Now, what's interesting, in Luke chapter 9, he sends out the twelve. And reading through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and comparing them, the twelve were sent just to the Jewish people, the twelve tribes. The twelve people represent the twelve tribes. Now, why seventy? What significance is seventy? I'm glad you're asking that question. Seventy is an important thing in the Bible. If you're taking notes, you might want to write down Genesis chapter 10. In Genesis chapter 10, this is after the flood, after all the nations began to be reestablished after Noah. In Genesis 10, there's 70 nations represented in the world, 70 nations. And you're like, okay, that's coincidental, Timothy, 70's there. Well, fast forward to the book of Exodus. I believe it's Exodus 18. Moses has this come-to-Jesus meeting with his father-in-law, Jethro. No, not the guy in the Beverly Hillbillies, but Jethro, his father-in-law. And they're talking, and he says, Moses, you've got so many people. There's 600,000 men, and you add the wives and the kids. There's about 2 million plus. And you're sitting here as a judge of these people. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to wear them out. He has that father-in-law, son-in-law tough conversation. I've had those a few times in my life. And he says, listen, you need to do something. This is not good for you. You're going to burn out. You're going to burn the people out. So you fast forward a few chapters later in Exodus, and we read this from parallel passages. There's all of a sudden God tells Moses to select 70 elders of the Jews. 
And these 70 elders are going to be the people that are going to help rule and govern 50, 100, 500, thousands, and so forth, depending on their ability. So you see the number 70 going throughout the Bible. Fast forward to the New Testament, we see 70. But even before this, there's a group of Jewish ruling elders called the Sanhedrin. And typically, there are at least 70 people on this council. So we see 70 is important. What I want you to get from this passage is whereas in Luke 9, they're sent to the Jews first. In Luke 10, they're sent to everybody. Luke, his message is the gospel's for everybody. You remember it started in chapter 1 with Theophilus. I'm writing to you so that you may know the certainty of these things that Jesus said and did. In chapter 10, we see that same message going on. I have a picture on the screen of George Scott. George Scott was a one-legged Sunday school teacher from Scotland. And he, he would teach the kids and the Bible studies. And he heard about China needing to have missions. We need a gospel presence in China. So George Stott went to the missions director and said, I want to go to China. So I don't know if any of you have ever been to long-term missions, but you have to stand before a board and they try to see if you're ready or not, whether you can handle the cultural changes, whatnot. So one of the questions was, uh, George, we noticed that you only have one leg and how are you going to get around in China? New place, new difficulties. And George Stott said, listen, I've looked around and the people with two legs aren't going. So I have to go. Fast forward 20 years later, here's a picture of him with some of his schoolboys in China. This one-legged missionary went, even though he knew there would be some challenges. So I want you to notice that the Christian faith is a missionary faith. Going back to verse 1, Jesus said, go into every village, every area where I'm going to go. And what's interesting is Jesus says, I'm getting ready to go there, but once you go before I go. And as you go, proclaim the kingdom of God. And by the way, I'm going to come through. This will be a chance for them to either accept or reject the message. Fast forward to New Testament times where we live. And you remember the Great Commission? Jesus says, I send you out into all the world. And all the world needs to hear the gospel. Then the end will come. It's the same type thing, just like we have in chapter 10, verse 1. Before I come, I want you to tell them about me, the Messiah, and the message I'm bringing before I come. Before Jesus comes back a second time, he's commissioning us again the same thing. I want you to go to all the nation, tell every man, woman, and child about the message before I come. So before every eye sees him, every ear must hear about him before he comes. So we are sent to make an eternal difference. Number two, how to think like a missionary. A great harvest requires a great work crew. A great harvest requires a great work crew. Look at verse 2 of Luke 10. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore complain and murmur about not having enough volunteers. doesn't say that, does he? (laughs) You're looking like, where's that at? He says, Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest. So here's the beautiful thing. If anyone's in ministry, our first temptation is to complain. There's not enough people in the children's ministry. There's not enough people in the choir. There's not enough people in whatever ministry you could think of. There's not enough people in the mission team. There's not enough. We can go every department in the church. And that's the temptation for us. But what Jesus says is if you want more people to stand up, you have to pray them in. You have to pray. Sometimes we forget the power of prayer. Did you guys realize this truth? Jesus wants this church to grow more than you do, more than I do. 
Jesus loves this community more than you do, more than I do. So if you want to see people rise up and say, here I am, Lord, send me, you have to go vertical. Once you go vertical, the horizontal takes care of itself. So I want you to think about the harvest. The harvest involves plowing the ground, sowing the seed, watering, and then reaping. What's interesting about verse 2, Jesus tells us, let's go to verse 2. He says, the harvest is great. The laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I'm not from an agrarian background, but some of you are. And for those of you who have ever done grain or corn or apples or whatever it may be, you know that if you leave the product on the vine or on the branch, it will spoil if you don't harvest it. That's why even in Hendersonville, when it's apple time, you'll see all these workers come out of nowhere to reap the harvest. So the harvest time is now. And I think it's symbolic, just like you leave grain out without harvesting it, it spoils. In the same way, we only have one life to live. And last time I checked the Asheville Citizen Times, people are dying every day. Have you noticed that? How many of you look at the obituaries in the Asheville Citizen Times? People are dying daily. And that's the thing. The harvest is now. We have only one lifetime. So therefore, there has to be a sense of urgency. People are dying every day into eternity. And here's the heart of God. He wants every man, woman, and child to be saved. But God is a gentleman. He will never force himself on anyone. He knocks on the door of their heart. But you know what? We have to open up. But it's up to us as Christians to make an internal difference in the lives of others. So here's a question of application before we move on. Is what would happen if everyone in this congregation saw themselves as a missionary Christian? And every year, in 12-month period, you led one person to Christ every year. What would happen? What would happen if every church did that? Each one reach one. For those of you who are math majors, you could do the formula. Just within a few world, few years, the whole world would have a chance to accept Christ. Now, not everyone's going to accept Christ. We know that. But what would it look like to give every man, woman, and child in your world a chance to accept Christ? Now, here's the thing. Some of you are saying, well, Timothy, I can't change the world. You're right, but you can change your world. You can't reach everybody, but you can reach somebody. You are to be salt and light where God has placed you. Did you know the mission field is right around you? You ever realize that Asheville, Hendersonville, wherever you live, probably more than 50% of the people don't know Christ all around you. One in two people most likely do not know Christ. You think about it. We don't have to go to a third world country. We should go. But it's right in our backyard. People need Christ. Amen. And by the way, before we go into point three, I want to thank Glenda and the missions team for planning out. For those of you who are just joining us, uh, we're doing like eight mission projects in, what, 40 days or something like that? And I was talking to some people that have been here 30, 40 years, and I'm like, has Arden ever had this many mission projects in an amount of time? And they've never heard of it. So the church is rallying. So you guys are answering to the call. So let's give Glenda a hand for that. It's a blessing. Number three, how to think like a missionary. Learn the culture of short-term missions, verses 2 through 15. Now, you've got to understand about this passage, Jesus is commissioning them for a short-term mission project. So the application cannot be for long-term missions. So when we send missionaries out today, we don't say, don't take any money, don't raise support. Jesus later in Luke changes it to say, hey, you need to have a money bag. You need to have, but this was for this particular instance. So what I want us to think about is apply this. We're going to look at what it meant for them 
and we're going to talk about what it means to us. But how do we think like a short-term missionary? If you look on your listening guide, this is on the second page or third page. This is the action plan for Christian who's on mission for God. The first point is this, pray before you go. Notice in verse 2, he said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. I have a confession to make in church. I am, I'm a type A, more of a laid-back type A, but I'm so driven, sometimes I do first and pray second. Any of you else do that? It's like, uh, did you pray about it? Well, no. So here's the thing. Jesus says, okay, you want to be on mission, you want to make a difference, pray before you go. A lot of us pray as we're going, but you need to start off with prayer. So that's just, you know, simple, but we forget about it. Number two, know, go and know that trials are awaiting you on your mission. Jesus said, I'm sending you like, bah, what is that? A lamb before wolves, right? And he said, listen, in case you forgot, wolves eat lambs for dinner. You ever heard of lamb chops? So if you go out into the world and you're talking about Jesus and people hate you, why are you surprised? For those of you who are on social media, I know some of you are, I know Betty, Facebook, others, and you post the Bible and you get criticism because you post the Bible verse, listen, the world's going to hate what you say. Um, don't, don't be surprised if you get thumbs down about things of Jesus. So, so many times we're shocked. Why do they not like it? Why do they not give a thumb? Listen, Jesus said the world's going to hate you. We forget about that. So know that you're in wolf's territory. Now, you don't treat the person like a wolf. You don't say big bad wolf or, you know, but you realize as I go out, there's going to be dangers that await me. There's going to be obstacles and trials that I'm not sure I'm I'm ready for. But you know what? The same God that sent you is the same God that goes with you. I was reading a true story about a woman that was led to Christ. I believe it was by a missionary. I think it was South Africa. And this woman had a few things going against her, a few trials. She was blind and illiterate. So she couldn't see, read, or write. But she's like, I feel called to missions. So she, in in this area, I believe it was South Africa, the school children were learning French. So she had the missionary highlight her Bible, John 3.16, highlight it, and it was in the French translation. So what she did is she would go to these schoolboys after school and said, excuse me, do you know French? And they said, yeah, we know French. Of course, we're learning it. And she said, can you read this verse highlighted? So they would read John 3, 16 to this woman who was blind, illiterate. And she would read, after they read it to her, she would explain the gospel using John three sixteen. After several years, this lady was able to lead many boys to Christ, 24 of them, became in the ministry. Think about that. A blind, illiterate person leading many people to Christ, 24, answered the call to ministry. So the next time you think, well, there's so many trials, I don't know. Listen, Jesus said, you're going to be around wolves. It's not going to be easy. Trials will come, so keep on moving. Number three, action plan. In your mission, remember to travel light and stay focused. Now, when Jesus said, don't greet people, is he saying be antisocial? No. In this culture, these greetings would be a little long. You remember a very hospitable culture. So you may even go stay a night with somebody in their house. They're very open, warm and welcome. So Jesus said, listen, because it's a short-term mission, you don't need to get sidetracked. Stay focused. Don't have long greetings, but stay focused. You know, like what application does that have for me? Well, what's called modern-day mission drift, and you guys have heard this even in business terms, you have a mission And it's so easy to drift. And I think the reminder for all of us in the church, in your family, if you run and operate a business, whatever your mission is, stick to the mission. Don't drift. 
because it's so easy to get sidetracked. <laughs> Number four, remember to stay positive by not letting the world around you drag you down. So in verses five through six, he says, when you go to a house, say, peace be to this house, shalom. Have you ever tried that before? You go to someone's house and say, peace be to this house. That may scare some people. Like, what are you talking about? But what it goes back to is Genesis 12, where Abraham's called to be a blessing to all the people, right? And carrying the shalom. Shalom is life as God meant it to be. Life in its wholeness and its fullness. So he said, when you go into a house, you bring God's presence with you. And if the person is deserving, the peace will remain. If it's not, the peace will return back to you. So one practical application of that is don't take it to heart. When people are not nice, when people push back, when people are antagonistic, let your peace return to you. So many of us, if someone's not nice to us because we're a Christian, we're like, oh, no, we're so broken and disappointed. And Jesus said, listen, shake the dust off. Keep going. Don't let it get you down. Stay positive. As I joked a few weeks ago, some of us have been baptized in lemonade. We walk around sour and hurting. And Jesus said, listen, be light, be encouraging. Christianity is a positive message. Jesus forgives. Number five, practice contentment and don't always seek an upgrade. So verses seven and eight, what is it talking about? Don't go from house to house. Well, if you're on a short-term mission trip, the idea is wherever you're planted, grow roots there. Blossom wherever you're planted until Jesus transplants you. So here would be the idea. If you didn't take a money bag with you, if you didn't take extra sandals, extra provisions, here's the temptation. I'm at one house, and they're serving me the Jewish version of ramen noodles. But this house over there is like a penthouse. And I hear they're serving filet mignon. So I love you guys, but I'm going to go over here where it's, it's, it's a lot nicer. And Jesus said, listen. You've got to not forget, I'm the provider, so don't always seek the upgrade when it comes to life. Follow me, and sometimes where I follow doesn't make sense, but in the end you'll know that you did the right thing. So don't go by human standards when it comes to ministry. Number six, do ministry in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So you look back on, on your scripture there, verses 9 and 10. It says, heal the sick there. Well, a lot of times people say only the 12 had the power to heal, right? Many of us have heard that. Well, this is 70 people who aren't apostles, but they're healing people. So there's different interpretations. And some people are what's called cessationists. They believe that the gifts and the healings don't exist. They only existed with the 12. But I look at passages like this and passages throughout the New Testament where God still heals. And my personal belief, I respect you if you believe this way, but I believe God still heals today. I believe miracles still happen today. I believe Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know what? If, if I'm on my sick bed and you don't believe in healing, I'm not going to ask you to pray for me. I'm going to ask my crazy Pentecostal friend over here to come and pray for me. Just You can laugh at that. But it, it, it's true. God still heals. And I want to thank the congregation for praying for Steve Shaw. So far, he's rallied. And a lot of it is the, the, the prayers of the saints. Had it not been for the prayers, I don't think he would be with us today. But your prayers have done miracles. And we've got to continue to complete the process. Amen. So, minister in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. He said, heal the sick. And this is what you're to say, Jesus said. The kingdom of God has come among you. Now, what's the kingdom of God? It's his rule and his reign. So here's the beautiful picture I want you to get. Anytime someone is healed of a sickness, it's a small picture of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is life the way God wants it to be. 
Right now, the kingdom is inside of us, and our job is to get it outside of us into our world. The kingdom is, comes in phases. Phase one, Jesus comes and dies for the world. He sends the Holy Spirit. The kingdom's inside of us. Phase two is when Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to establish the kingdom, and there's going to be no more sickness, sin, or death anymore forever. And all God's people said, amen. But in phase one, the goal is to get the kingdom out. It's inside of you. As long as the Holy Spirit resides in, and, and he does in every believer, you're to get the kingdom out. So when someone is healed by the power of God, that's the picture of the kingdom. Whenever you give a homeless person a meal and you share Christ's love and says, peace be to you, they're getting a taste of the kingdom. Every time you do something in the name of Jesus that's God-centered and for his glory, it, it gives people a taste of the kingdom. All right. What point are we on? Seven. All right. And making sure you're paying attention. So, all right. Number seven, leave the people's response and the results in God's hand. So here's the thing. If you go, let's say, you know, let's say I'm, I'm going to pretend to be, I'm going to pretend to be one of you ladies. I'm getting my hair done at the salon and the, the hairdresser is asking me about, about myself and I share about my family. And then Jesus comes up, right? And she said, oh, you're one of those people. And you can either get all upset and get your hair in a wad and, you know, or you can say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm saved. I, I'm a believer. I'm excited about it. See, that's the idea of shake off the dust off your feet. We talked about this a few weeks ago. That's the idea. The Jewish people, whenever they would go in Gentile territory, they would shake the dust off before they came back into the Holy Land. So here's, here's the point. Don't let the world cling to your soul. Shake it off. Don't let it bother you. Because a reminder, the world's going to hate you. I'm sorry, but it's true. If the world doesn't hate us, we have to ask ourselves, am I really shining the light of Christ? Because if I am, the world will push back. If I'm just lukewarm, the world doesn't care. But if I, if I really live my faith out, the world's going to push back like nothing you've ever seen. So just a little warning. All right, finally, let's, uh, before we go into point Last point, I want to go back to verses, we've covered a lot of verses, but jump to verse 13. This is very interesting. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works were done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than you. And woe to you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, you will be brought down to Hades. Now, what is Jesus talking about? He lists three cities, and I think we have it on the map here, three cities that are north of the Sea of Galilee. You can see it there. Um, you have the Chorazin, Bethsaida, you have Capernaum. So here's the idea. Jesus spent the majority of his time in those three areas. And what, what's interesting about Chorazin, this is the only place that's mentioned in the Bible. And yet the implication is Jesus did miracles there. He preached there. And, and it's like, it's not necessarily they didn't like Jesus, but they just didn't really follow him. They didn't respond to his message. And that, that shows you that there's so many miracles Jesus did that aren't in the Bible. John says it like this. If we were to record the miracles of Jesus, not all of the books in the world could hold all the miracles and what Jesus did and said. Now, Capernaum, we know that was the headquarter of Jesus' ministry. Um, just a, a little review. Jesus healed the centurion servant there. He healed the nobleman's son there. You remember Peter's mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed, healed her. 
the synagogue ruler's daughter was brought back to life. You remember the, the guy that was paralyzed and the four men brought him on the roof and lowered him in? All these happened at Capernaum. So here's the warning. To much is given, much is to be required. So the idea is if this happened in those three Old Testament cities mentioned that were known to be pagan and lost and just hedonistic, if, if they had saw what we've seen, they would have repented a long time ago. So the warning for us, fast forward 2,000 years later almost, is many of us have heard great music, we've heard great Bible lessons, but yet there's a sense of apathy where we're just, it's another sermon, it's another song, it's another Bible lesson. And I, by application, I want to encourage us never to be apathetic towards Jesus because that's, that's what these people, it's not that they hated Jesus, they just were apathetic. Oh, there's Jesus, there's the carpenter, there's the teacher. And some of us, we hear the teachings of Jesus, but we'd rather do this or we'd rather do that and we live in a culture if if i can if men if i can get in your grill and women get up in your makeup get up close and personal um it's like we want to serve jesus but there's 10 other things to choose from on a sunday we want to we want to serve in the church but yet i don't have time and the message still rings to us is be careful because apathy is a look down upon by jesus he says woe to you so woe to us christians who have accepted Jesus by application, but yet aren't following him, aren't serving him. We are saved to serve, not saved to sit. And that someone said, ouch, but it's true. All right, finally, number four. And this is encouragement. As a missionary, you've got to think this way. Remember this important truth. When people reject the message you bring, they are not rejecting you, but the one who sent you. I have a picture coming up of Robert and Mary Moffat. And this is a reminder for men, no shave November. There you go. Another bearded guy. I don't know why all my illustrations in November have beards, but there you go. So they were missionaries in a modern, what's called Botswana, modern day country, Botswana. That's the, the name of the country. And they had served for 10 years. Robert and Mary served 10 years, not a single convert. So the mission board began to think about stewardship and said, listen, we're, we're supplying you with resources, no converts. And they began to question whether they should call them back um, to the country from Botswana because there was no one. And Robert and Mary really travailed in their soul. They said, God has called us here. We just got to be faithful. Another year or two passed by. They kept serving God. And one of Mary's girlfriends, I believe she was from England, she said, we want to send you a gift to try to be an encouragement to you in your ministry. What would you like us to send? And Mary, without hesitating, said, I want you to send a communion set because I believe we're going to need it soon. Keep in mind, it's been about 12 years, no converts. And she said, I want a communion set, the Lord's Supper, because we're going to need it. So fast forward, the communion set was delayed. But in time, they led six people to Christ out of nowhere. And the day before they're getting ready to have the Lord's Supper, the communion set arrived. True story. And then the next day they had communion together. So when you're thinking about the Moffats, I want you to remember this, that when you give the message and people reject you, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting the one that sent you. And when people receive you, they're not receiving you. They're receiving the one that sent you. So just a by way of review, we've covered a lot of scripture today. But number one... Jesus sends you to make an eternal difference in the world. We are saved by Jesus to make a difference for Jesus. 
Number two, a great harvest requires a great work crew. Now keep in mind, when the grain is left, it can spoil. And the same way, when a life is left without the gospel, God forbid them going into eternity without a chance to receive Christ. Learn the culture of short-term missions. And I want you to realize, in a way, we're all on a short-term mission. This life is short. And every day, all around us, people are going into eternity. So the goal is to have a sense of urgency so that every man, woman, and child can have a chance to have a relationship with Christ that you do. And remember this important truth. When people reject you and the message you bring, they're not rejecting you, but rejecting what? The one who sent you. So one final thought before we summarize it. When someone says, well, I like God generically, but I don't like Jesus specifically, that doesn't fly. You cannot like God and not love Jesus. Jesus is God. So I'm sorry we live in Asheville, but a lot of people say, I like God, but not Jesus. Jesus is God. You can't accept the Father without accepting Jesus. And that's the Christian faith. It's like I told the first service. For people that say, I like your wife, but I don't like you. Listen, if you don't like me, my wife ain't going to like it. We come as a package deal. And it's the same with God and Jesus. They're a package deal. So to summarize this in one sentence, we've said this over and over again, but I want you to take this one truth home with you. Every Christian is a missionary Christian. I want you to say it with me. Every Christian is a missionary Christian. We are sent to make a difference. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your word. Father, first of all, I want to pray for every believer in this room and for those listening online to the podcast. God, we've got to come confessing that we've often thought it was going to be someone else to do. It just like my temptation was to keep driving on the parkway and not to help. The temptation is someone else will share. But Lord, I pray we'd walk away with this one truth. God has called me not to change the entire world, but to change my world. Those I live with, those I work with, those I eat with, those I shop around, that's our mission field. So Father, forgive us where we've fallen short of that. And help us to see ourselves as a missionary. That in the morning we can wake up and say, good morning, world changer. Good morning, missionary. You are called to do great things today. Help us have that mindset. As the believers continue to pray, if there be one here in the place today that you've never accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior, every week we give you a chance to respond to the gospel because every week we don't know who's coming. We don't know who hasn't prayed. But if you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, it's simple. It's believing that he died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose again so that if you repent of your sins, that means you give up your old life and you decide to follow Jesus, he will give you eternal life starting today. So if that's your prayer, in your own words, say a prayer of faith like this. Jesus, I know that you were sent on a rescue mission to save me. And I thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and for raising again new life. And Jesus, I need new life. Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. I turn from them and I turn to you. I pray that you would make me a new person inside. Bring me from death to life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you that this is the first day of forever. Father, you've heard our prayers. We pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. This time, if you'll please stand, we're going to have our closing song. If God has put something special in your heart, if you want to be commissioned as a missionary, I want to be at the front.
I'm going to ask Diana to come up front. Here's the thing. Not just pastors are called in sin, but all of us are. Every Christian is a missionary Christian. So if God has laid something on your heart and you want to be prayed over, I'll be at the front. Diana, Adam's going to be standing in the back. We're just going to take a few moments. Remember that every Christian is a missionary Christian. Let us respond as the Lord leads.